Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with artist Ahmed Farouki. Ahmed is the founder of the Degrees of Freedom Collective and has turned his own home into an experimental art venue, Space 36. So I am intrigued to find out how art in a domestic setting compares with a gallery space. Ahmed is also in the process of installing a group exhibition at Espacio Gallery, in which the artists respond to the impact of COVID-19. So this provides a timely opportunity to discuss the ways in which the pandemic has affected the possibilities for creativity. Our conversation takes place at Space 36 on a residential street in North London. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art and let's see where today's conversation might take us. Right, hello, and today I'm in North London to meet with artist Ahmed Farouki. Hello, Ahmed. Hi, Robert. And nice to have you on my podcast. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, what I wanted to uh, talk to you about was your art, uh, of course, and also you started um, a project called Degrees of Freedom, which is an artist collective, and also we are, I believe, sitting in Space 36, is that right? You are indeed. Which is fantastic, and that is, as I understand it, uh, where you live, but also an artistic space like a gallery that you use to host exhibitions and uh, welcome artists into. Yeah, that's right. Um, would you like to say a little bit about your approach to your work? The thread that seems to be in common in terms of the kind of projects that I do are kind of research-based pursuits. Uh, which, is, which is about investigating either a particular issue or a particular idea and uh, thinking about it in artistic terms uh, because I can imagine uh, the things I'm interested in could have a different sort of response maybe coming from a science side or a psychology side or a social issue side but I've chosen to respond to it as an artist. And what would you say then, doing it through the lens of art, how does that differ to other approaches, such as a scientific or an academic or other, other type of approach, would you say? A couple of things I can think of. There's the aesthetic element, which I guess isn't predominant in most other fields. And there is the element of what I feel about something, which wouldn't, I guess, would be less present in scientific or other discourses and that's why I've chosen this field because I don't have a traditional artistic background I didn't go to art college you know I left okay. a rather normal life <laughs> and got into art much later in my life so I've been uh, focusing on art as my main preoccupation for the last 15 years of which Ten have been like all the time that I've got. That's what I do. 
And what uh, what led you to pursue the art? Was it a light bulb moment or was it something that had been brewing for a while? Um, the first time I made a consciously artistic response in my adult life was, I think, after a moment of trauma, after my mum died, and I kind of used art as a way of dealing with grief and... Because I was looking on your website at some of your work and uh, I noticed there was one piece uh, which uh, involved performers in Trafalgar Square folding, I think it was your mother's saris. That's right, yeah. And um, was that coming out of that same space for you? Yes, I think so, but it sort of popped out many, many years later when Degrees of Freedom had instigated this project, which we call Uninvited, which was to go off and occupy significant public spaces without permission, do something and wait to be thrown out. But we don't do anything that actually you couldn't justify as actually happening in the place anyway. But the way we would do it would be as an artistic intervention. And I chose Trafalgar Square because it's a centre of empire, full of phallic objects. And there is a particular history to my mum's saris. She left a collection of maybe a thousand saris, basically. And I just wanted to liberate them out of this kind of psychological stillness and invite lots of people to handle them and kind of invent a sort of ritual so you expose them to the air, the elements, to the gaze of other people. And it was a really, I think it was quite an emotional experience, not just for us, but for the the person who was guarding Trafalgar Square, who came up and said, what are you doing? And they pushed me to explain, and she burst into tears. She said, oh my God, oh, oh, go ahead, do it. And we had planned that we thought we would only be in Trafalgar Square for about one minute before they threw us out because they have very strict rules about performative interventions and but it was wonderful we were there for half an hour and well that you you describe with your own work you say uh, you're investigating the role of art and artistic resistance and there is a sense resistance maybe is is one word but interventions provocations pushing back quite an activist approach in a way. Would that be right? Yes, I think uh, because I come from a non-art background, it maybe it's been easier for me to look at institutions within the art practice, like galleries, and kind of look at them critically after being involved in them. Uh, So I ran uh, something called an anti-gallery show after being involved in helping someone set up a gallery, which is the Spasio Gallery, which I kind of work with. And the idea was to really subvert all the conventions. I mean, this is nothing new. I mean, you know, this, this has been done before, but it's new to me. And it seemed to be uh, of the moment. Lots of people got engaged with it. We had absolutely a ball. Other people hated it because they felt we were being childish in terms of how we were subverting Give me an example. How, how were you subverting so, it? So, the idea was, uh, so one of the ideas was you're allowed artists to jostle against each other, which might create friction. So we did not promise that works could stay in the same place. All works had to be live. You couldn't, we call provocative, you call dead works. So dead, I completed works weren't allowed. So everything had this air of contingency and jostling and we didn't have labels so people were really upset that we don't know what's going on here 
we changed the layout of the gallery every day and the way it just worked is that it kept the whole thing alive because it, we were rushing around changing things so it made us feel like it isn't finished that it's a process we were involved in for three weeks and artists felt really engaged because it was so open-ended and even now I get people who've been on say you know, that was the best show and I just love that feedback. Well it also it seems to me that a lot of your uh, interest is around social engagement, social relationships and um, performative elements and almost mm. the doing as much as the objects themselves would yeah. that be fair? I think that's absolutely fair so you mentioned Space 36, which I, it was that idea that came immediately after the anti-gallery show, which was about, uh, it was about disrupting the gallery space. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of quite a safe thing to do because it's out there. What would happen if somebody did that to us? Like they said, right, okay, no rules, we'll just come in. So Space 36 is actually your house yeah. that you're living in. Yeah. And you chose to turn it into a gallery space or a, a place yeah. for artistic works. Yeah, and not a gallery space. <laughs> ah, well, I was going to ask you about how the terminology there. So yeah. it's definitely not a gallery no. space as such. No. How would you describe it then? Or Everybody loves snooping into other people's houses, right? This is why I do the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we build on that? So we, I deliberately advertise all this as an open house, right? Because it will attract people who otherwise would not go into something that has anything to do with art. So it's an open house with a artistic theme attached. So people come in and we're really welcoming. We're out on the steps and, and kind of say, come in and, and we just give them this kind of thing about relaxed, you know, talk to people, you know, there's tea, coffee, spend as much time as you like, there's a nice garden. So we don't go heavy on the art, we just kind of allow people to make up their minds on it, which is fine. Sure, is so fine. it's art as social engagement again, isn't it? Yeah, but that's what we hope to do. So basically we work with a group and because the idea is that you're working together for four months, is about sort of developing relationships among, within the artist group. So the, the kind of mutual critique, mutual support, and food. <laughs> Lots of food. Everybody relaxes. We learned this actually, that in the first year, the starting off tended to be awkward because it was a bit like an artist meeting. But from the second year onwards, we fed them. I love cooking and my partner loved cooking. So that helps. And uh, some people are very specific, say, well, actually, this space in the house would work for me. Other people kind of say, well, I don't mind about the space. But because sometimes artists are very hesitant because they kind of think, well, it's your space, you know. And we're kind of trying to say, well, challenge us. Say, I want to do this. We'll do what we can to make it happen. Don't self-censor in advance. And that has worked very well. And it's a very open and generous way of working. Was there a sense of intrusion? No, not at all. I wonder if that's partly because I've had artists that I knew. So that's a possibility. Like, if they were completely unknown. 
But I think, I think one year you invited them to have a rummage anywhere they wanted in the house yeah. or with any of the artefacts or any of the history of the building. Yeah, the very first year, right. including us. So wow. what happened was that one of the artists gave us a tape recorder, me and Alan, and said, I really want you to have a conversation that's really intimate, right? So do it in your bed or somewhere where you just sit close together and ask yourself these questions. And it's one of the questions was, do you think of the moment when you leave the house? What was really interesting was that that's one question we always avoided. So it was, it was fantastic for us to be forced to do things. And then what he did was to build, he built a room within one of the rooms, which was completely sealed. And inside the room, there were speakers on different bits of the wall. The viewer had to uh, put the ear to the spot and they could hear, they could hear our conversation. And then they were invited to write that conversation on the back of the room, whatever they heard. And it was kind of really interesting, quite dark, because our neighbours were coming in and because the, they kind of know us, obviously, and total strangers would go in. But I thought it was fantastic. I think both me and Alan thought, actually, this is what, from our purpose, we, we want to be on this like edge of danger. But apart from this work, I don't think we've had people challenging the psychological possibilities of, of um, invading intimacy of a relationship because it wasn't just space sure he, he was kind of saying i'm going to intervene in an intimate space sure but very well i thought <laughs> well I, I i'm i'm dead impressed that you're open and agreeable to doing something like that because that does it does feel quite challenging but as you say you it sounds as though you like to be challenged you like to be pushed a little bit further you want to be a little bit outside your comfort mm. zone did you find yourself self-censoring at all I think there was a work by I think it was Kenneth Goldsmith and he recorded everything he said for a week or so and it included some telephone conversations in which he was slagging off other people and when he then published the transcript, he kind of lost some friends mm. because, because he was so honest about what it was and they found out what he really thought about right. them. Right. And that was kind of game over. So were there boundaries or were there points at which you said thus far and no further? It hasn't happened, although I w wouldn't say that it wouldn't happen. The, the boundaries are around hurting people. And that is also about limitation of me as an artist. I accept that because I know that my art can't be about hurting people. I mean, it can be about making people uncomfortable. I sense there's, um, you do want to challenge people. No, well, I want not. to challenge myself. Okay. I want to give people an opportunity that if they wish to, they could challenge themselves in terms of the ambition that they have. Yeah, I want people to be ambitious. I want people to be contextual. In a gallery space, it's hard to be contextual because it does its best to take work out of its context. Not all the time, you know, not every gallery, I hasten to add. So ambition is, yeah, I hope in the nicest possible way. I have to say on... 
a lot of things, the way I look at it is that nobody will come. So every time I invite artists, there's, there's a thing in our agreement. We do not guarantee any audience. There may not be a single person here because I want to liberate myself from this thing. Although I do work hard at getting audiences, I, I really do. But I don't want to promise those things because I think that's just, uh, that stops you from maybe taking risks that otherwise you might. Right? Well, just do it for its own sake. That's what I keep telling people. Do it because you want to do it. You've always wanted to do it, but you want, you kind of felt that you couldn't or people wouldn't let you or you did, couldn't think that you could do it. So I'm really struck by your openness, your willingness to be challenged, your willingness to question the conventions around art and its possibilities. And I'm wondering if those qualities that you're showing through the projects that you do, were they there in your former life or was it something that emerged once you decided that you wanted to become an artist and, and make art? I would say those qualities and interests were there right from the start from my previous career so if I look at the sort of things I've done well the sort of things you need really is a process well I'm quite good at that resources well I can find them uh, spaces well there's loads of spaces around that we can investigate so I just do it as long as I think you're prepared to risk failure you can do it and as long as you kind of don't have this thing about a position to maintain, I seem I'm just so blessed because I have, I have nothing at stake here. I have no reputation. I have no history that I'm a fantastic artist. I know I'm a kind of a mediocre-ish artist. It's liberating when you just apply the word mediocre to yourself. You can admire artists that you feel are up there and you think they are fantastic and then you can think of artists who you feel actually have got something that you can see but somehow they can't it's a great position to be in i know that somebody i mentioned this to was really shocked when i said but you mustn't think of yourself as an idiot i said but i find it liberating because i don't have to worry about anything that there's such an energy around the way you describe what you do that is so refreshing. That folds back into the idea of it being about the process, that art can be this endeavour that is enough in itself. The doing of it, the experience of it, the making it happen is what really gives life to everything and to those around us, mm. isn't it, I yeah, think? absolutely. So yeah, that comes across loud and clear. Well... Talking of refreshing, may, maybe that will be a good time to have a break and the yeah. refreshment and a okay. cup of tea. Yeah, that would okay. be great. Let's do that. So we are back after a refreshing cup of tea for me and a cup of tea for you as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Grey and Builders tea. Oh, <laughs> Grey and Builders. Yes, I went for the Builders, didn't I? But And we were outside in the garden and we had a chance to tour through Space 36, a.k.a. your house and gardens. Absolutely fantastic, fabulous place. Thank you. Yes, really beautiful. And, and the art is integral to the, the spaces. 
you showed me various rooms and there's art on the walls and art on the floor and around but it felt very integrated into a, a lived-in space rather than as we were talking about a minimalist don't touch this don't you can't put your your stuff down here sort of a, a feel to it so it was that was really lovely okay so I wanted to talk to you about your degrees of freedom collective and also you've got a forthcoming show that I also wanted to ask you about but before I do that you just told me before I switched on the microphone to ask you about generational issues and I'm so intrigued by that <laughs> that I'm just gonna put my questions to one side and, and go for that straight away. What I meant by that is that if you're working with groups of people you kind of have think about like who am I who's available to me and one of the issues that I do face is uh, around being limited by the fact that there are kind of structural impediments for generations to come together to work. I mean, if I look at the group of artists I work with, they're kind of broadly my generation or just a bit younger. But uh, I found it difficult to develop and maintain relationships across all generations. And actually, that would be a wonderful prize because it seems to me that we're middle class people and in terms of generation, we are relatively asset rich. And if you're least bit politically left, you have to ask yourself how you're going to use these assets yeah are you going to wait till you're dead and give them to you whatever or are you going to make use of them in a way that contributes to the things that are going on now but it is difficult to first of all open up gates for the intergenerational stuff to come together for rapport to form i don't know what's the best way of attracting a, a, a group that's mixed and not just London-based. I mean, we'd really love to work with artists that are in other parts of the country. I don't know how to get to them, but maybe this podcast would be a great way of doing that. Get in touch with me if you kind of like this way of working and you th think might work with you. Just, no, obviously no commitment, but it'd be lovely to hear from artists who are intrigued, think, how might this work? Oh, I live elsewhere, but... I am interested. Uh, so both in, in social class and in generation terms, there are issues. And it would be more challenging for me if I had younger people. Maybe they, they would be braver. Maybe they would be more challenging in unexpected ways. We were talking in the break about how you choose or not choose artists to work with, with a call out or, or whatever. And likewise, for me, with this podcast, I was saying that in finding who to have a conversation with, it risks being I'm self-selecting a group that I'm already comfortable with and I'm not actually engaging with other groups who are out there. And so part of my own aims for, for this podcast is to gradually reach out and expand my own horizons and I that would make a really fantastic project for the type of work that you do as well to make it intergenerational as a key part of the, the setup of it yeah I'd love to do that which is what and so the show that's coming up yeah. is called reality and its disorders 
and it says an exhibition exploring WTF what just happened and is that just relating to the last six months and the virus or is that further back and other issues what's the scope of the um, exhibition it was meant to be that the seismic change over the last four months uh, but we didn't want to use the dreaded words because then all you get is COVID this, COVID that. Uh, so I was kind of wise to that. And I wanted to be suggestive of uh, the idea about has the reality changed as it were. You can define it in terms of physical or social or mental or psychological. Yes, because this is the first conversation I've had in which the word COVID or, or coronavirus has arisen because I took the decision that although all of this had happened, I was still interested to talk to artists about what they do more generally. I didn't want it to be hijacked by the specifics of it. And yet we cannot argue with the fact that something big has happened and we're still only just beginning to see what the resonance is and, and what how that's going to play out in the future. So if I didn't have any conversations about it, it would be like the elephant in the room. But here, this is a great chance to talk about it because you are working on this exhibition precisely to uncover and, and explore some of the themes. And what would you say, well, first of all, how is the exhibition set up going how how's it going because it opens next week that's it? right yeah how's it all been yeah. going is it um well in organizational terms uh, it's been fine because one of my strengths is that so uh, the the issue the issues i think are to come so the things i've kind of picked up is that uh, people's uh, alertness to the virus varies enormously some people just completely has gone away for them other people are feel that they are vulnerable so the issue is how do you navigate a social situation i have a responsibility not only am i bringing the artists together i'm bringing the public and the artists in a space which in effect is a closed space inside space so right at the start they made it really clear in the call out that uh, we have to observe these rules when I accepted people, they had to sign an agreement, which I always do, uh, about taking care of each other. So my motto is not fearful, but careful of each other. So you shouldn't be personally fearful, but one must be careful of other people. So the first letter I sent, or email I sent, basically said, I know we all have very different views about the virus, the, our vulnerability to it, its impact, or whatever, but there are people with real vulnerabilities and therefore, we will wear masks, that we will observe distance wherever possible, and we will ask our, everybody who comes to the gallery to do that. So I'm kind of, which is always my approach, trying to kind of have this discursive dialogue with people, and a personal one, because I'm vulnerable, and I ask people not to put me in jeopardy. Uh, so for me, it's a risk. I, I deliberately took that risk because I thought I'm not going to sit cowering in my studio uh, until it go, goes away because it's not great for me. I just, you know, part of my life has been to work with people. And I did have a talk with Alan, my partner, because obviously it's a joint risk. 
both of us agreed that yes, it's a risk, but all life is a risk and we have to accept risk. So that's the deal. Uh, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So fingers crossed. And would you say that by and large you've been able to do things as you would have liked to have done or have there been some significant changes that you've had to make? Yeah, there's been significant changes which have been very stressful for me because when artists suggest something, my first response is, tell me about it. And usually we find a way, and I've got myself into trouble with this show because the sort of things, the slight jostling and things that I kind of quite like in the show, it's not really possible. These are. So can you give me an example? There's an artist who's going to do a performance with a collaborator, Mr. Slimbones, who happens to be a stuffed dummy. And so there was a big question about, so when the performance wasn't happening, what do we do with these objects? And I was thinking, well, why don't we put them in a particular place? And there could be sort of an installation that you could just bring out and use. So the artist comes back to me and says, why don't we invite people to interact with Mr. Slimbones? And I have to say, I love the idea, but I have to think about it. And it's terrible because it's like it goes against everything. And I have got myself three times now in deep trouble by prematurely getting excited and just saying, tell me about it. Have you managed to uh, resolve Mr. Slimbones? The, the way we've left it is that once everything is in place, we will look at the space and if it's possible to activate Mr. Slimbones with the audience, we'll do it. So it does show how the situation with the virus has acted as a constraint on what people can do, which is kind of self-evident, but how important some sense of lack of constraint or a sense of openness to stuff is part of where creativity lies, and it needs that sense of being able to do things. Absolutely. I think we have to find ways around it. I'm sure we will. Well, it's it's great that it's back in a, a physical space rather mm. than online. And yeah. just, you know, we started to see so much that's actually migrating online and it begs the question of how much is going to come back again at the end of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I find online experiences quite flat because I'm sitting on my own in front of a screen. And with the show, you have to have a physical show. There's no way around it, which carries its own risks. And if people behave responsibly, it'll be fine. If people don't, then it could be terrible. So in terms of the artists who are showing in, in the exhibition, what have been some of the ranges of responses to the virus and the ways in which people have chosen to consider some aspect of it as might be expected there's a fair number of works around the body and the vulnerability of the body there's one work by an artist Henrik Topoloski which is about how people who are introverted have come on their own because this is our world he said you know, this is what we love not being forced to go out there and I kind of thought that's quite an interesting perspective there's been quite a few performative works which are about movement. So there's a work that's uh, uh, looking at connecting through movement. The, the performer 
performs certain movements and the audience member is invited to follow that at a kind of two meter distance and the idea is that that relationship is established i suppose that, that it's uh, moving away from the obsession of separation and maybe moving the body together there's uh, another uh, performance which is called the waiting room which is with lydia lydia and mr slimbones and that is about how life is suspended what do we do we are in a waiting room we're waiting for the vaccine to happen or we're waiting for this to happen and the kind of anxieties and stuff and then the couple of very lyrical longish videos one of them is about how the whole notion of time stops uh, it was a, it's a 10 minute video at first i thought because there's a section in it that i really really like and i wanted it and i was thinking oh i'll go back to the artist and with all the concomitant dangers of going to an artist and saying cut your video fortunately i didn't do that i made myself stop and think and then I watched it a few times and I thought, actually, you're missing the point. The point of, of this video is the slowness of time. Stay with it. Go beyond your immediate reaction as a curator. So that is in the show. Um, Tom Hackett's uh, work is out in the street with a couple of megaphones. So him and his collaborator kind of start off 100 metres apart and then they recite as they approach each other you know, through a megaphone. I love that breaking the boundary between the gallery and the street. Well, also, I wanted to ask you about just going a little bit back to your own work, because you were saying that during lockdown, you found yourself doing some digital collages. Was that a new... Well, it is a painting, oh, and particularly uh, figurative. But I'm, I'm intrigued that you um, came across this new direction or body of work partly because of the constraints of lockdown, was yeah, it? Yeah, and, and that you may not have done it otherwise. No, I, I definitely, I can tell you this, I definitely wouldn't have done otherwise, absolutely. Yeah, actually just before lockdown, I got into video, a year before lockdown, and a lot of the videos have been uh, uh, made outside. So I've been doing a lot of shooting outside and coming back and working through, because I'm just starting off. And then the lockdown happens, and the thing I wanted to do, I can't do anymore. Well, I did see so. on your website, so uh, I, I saw some of the videos so from last year, and, and there were some really love, lovely ones. Uh, and there's a monochrome one, kind of an open spaces, and there was movement, and there was the natural world, and, and it felt quite immersive. And then fast forward to your digital collages, which are static, and frozen in time and and that kind of to me that was that said a lot about the, the the difference a year makes in terms of what we can do and how suddenly the the ideas of constraint again yeah in terms absolutely of what we can do yeah and also the seductions of painting which you know i kind of trying to resist because it seems to me in your the uh, some of the aesthetic of your work is quite uh, to do with beauty or ornament or, mm, or mm. there's a pleasurable element mm, to it, mm. um, a delight. You allow yourself those things in a way that some artists 
maybe don't uh, allow allow those things to creep in it has to be a little bit more austere but there seems to be a nice delightful the color and the form and the and the movement that you get in your work I think is there that's true although I do kind of constantly question it and constantly belittle it. I constantly say, well, it's too beautiful. It's kind of just merely pretty or it's merely decorative. So, yeah, there is a tension. For, for me, it's with humour. I like to have a humorous element in, what, in my work. Maybe quite subtle, very understated, and sometimes only I know it's there, but it's there. But I'm likewise wrestling with that. Oh, you don't need that. You know, it's, it'll be more powerful, it'll be stronger if you don't have a little joke in there as well. I, I've had to kind of make my peace with that. That's part of who I am. That's part of it. And for me, the, the humour allows another element to it and, and it and it provides part of what what I'm working on in a way that seems to me that beauty and ornament for you is an integral part that can't be just taken out of the equation it, it's there even if you have to uh, wrestle with it that's right and and I have to say I really admire humor in people's work and I wish uh, no it's like it mine was less studied or you know because I, I the, the, the grass is always green it is always <laughs> absolutely I love humor <laughs> well Ahmed maybe that is a great place at which to say thank you so much for this conversation and what's come across loud and clear is your openness and uh, responsiveness and generosity in what you do and in enabling things to happen and the way in which you constantly challenge yourself and push yourself through the art to um, uh, do new things and that's really refreshing and I've really enjoyed hearing about it so thank you very much. Well thank you for choosing me Robert and I've, no, I've really enjoyed this conversation it has been really interesting thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media. And check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon.